Okay, we are in the book of Esther, and uh, we're finishing chapter 5, verse 14, and then getting into verse chapter 6 this morning. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this book, and we, we thank you that it, it shows us how you work uh, in human history, how you um, organize and, and uh, manipulate the events to accomplish exactly what you want done and uh, we see your your providence through this passage and we just pray that as we study this morning that we can learn uh, more about your, uh, your your sovereign providence and also about your personality as well help us to understand you better as we study your word we pray this in Christ's name amen <coughs> okay what Okay. Are you able to hear it Okay, so that's little. I can hear. Yeah, I can hear it ringing now. So. <laughs> Got that ringing noise. What? I know. It's just I moved it just a smidge. So, well, let me try turning it down. These are projection lights. Okay, I can still hear it, but that's okay. I guess it's, I'm not too loud. I may have to bump it down a little bit for service. Um, this morning, let's go ahead and uh, read chapter 6. So where do you want to start for us? On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, the attendant answered. The king asked, who is in the court? Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for. And the king's servants said unto him, Behold, Haman saith in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And the king said to himself, Whom should the king delight to honor more than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor.
and let the robe and horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delighted to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried off to her home, mournful and with his head covered. Haman and Zerath, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him, then said his wise men and Zerath, his wife, unto him, Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring him to the feast that Esther had given. Okay, so last week we, we finished up chapter 4, and um, and then went into verse, or excuse me, chapter 5. We saw that Esther made up her mind that she would go in to King Ahasuerus to plead on behalf of the Jews. And she also recognized that, again, it was a capital offense to come into the king's court without being invited. And so she had asked for prayer uh, and fasting um, of the, all the, the citizens or the Jews who were in Susa. And then she went into the king uh, on the third day. And the king accepted her. He extended the royal, the golden scepter, uh, which meant that uh, she could come in, that she would not be uh, sent to death. And uh, he asked her, what do you want? He, he knew that it had to be something serious for her to risk her life to come in that way. And she basically, she did not plead for the Jews at that time. She asked the king and Haman to come to a banquet that she had ready. Um, and it sounds like it was almost, you know, the food was on the table, uh, come and eat it. And so he hurried up and got Haman and they went to the banquet. And again, the king asked her, uh, what is it that you want? And in, again, instead of pleading for the Jews, she said, well, I want you to come back tomorrow for another banquet. And at that time, then I'll let you know what it is that's on my mind. And as uh, Haman left this banquet, he felt really good about himself. It's not often that you get invited to a meal with the king and the queen. This was a high privilege. And so he's feeling really great about himself until he runs into Mordecai, who stands and refuses to bow or to honor him. And that kind of pops his bubble. And so he goes home to his uh, support group, uh, his wife and friends, and he tells them basically how great he is. And they all, yes, yes, Haman, you're great, you're great. It helps rebuild his ego back up. Uh, and that brings us down to verse 14 of, of chapter 5, the last verse. 
Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Okay, so he's, they, they give him this advice. What, what do they need to do to cheer Haman up? Get rid of Mordecai, right. He's the one that's causing your, the pain and the uh, suffering, so hang him. That'll cheer you up. Um, now, it wasn't just a matter of killing him. Um, they wanted to basically hang him up way up in the air. This 50 cubits is 75 feet. <coughs> so that's, you know, he wants the body way up high so that everybody can see that this is what happens to those uh, who do not honor Haman. So in a sense, Mordecai's body will be a trophy of Haman's glory. Um, now the commentary said that uh, Persians typically executed people by impaling them. So I think, um, what, what is your uh, translation say? I think it says something about um, pole. Have a pole set up reaching to the height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Okay. So we we think in terms of gallows and hanging by the rope, but that's not what they did. How you impale him on seventy-five feet up in the air? Yeah. Often they would kill them and then hang their bodies up, and that was that was the idea behind Roman crucifixion. The Romans would crucify criminals and leave them hanging on the on the crosses, so that everybody could see that. This is what happens when you don't obey Rome. Um, and so it's the same kind of a thing. Um, now this, uh, there's some de debate over whether this was a freestanding structure, 75 feet tall. Um, some people say no, it was built on top of another building. So it wasn't that big a structure, but it, they started out 50 feet above the ground and it was a smaller structure. They built it overnight. So it had to be done quickly. Um, with my background in structural engineering, I just sort of, unless you already have a, a design and all the pieces and your parts ready, that's kind of tough to do. So, um, but they got it done. And then they're telling Haman, okay, now that you know that Mordecai is going to be utterly destroyed and shamed, you can go out and enjoy yourself at the banquet. So it says, Haman was delighted with the idea. Um, there's an old saying, you know, vengeance is sweet. You know, that's, that's the um, world's way of looking at it. Uh, I was going to say, it's a sad commentary that someone's happiness is based on somebody else's, you know, misery, misery yeah. downfall. Or yeah. How, how I sometimes think about how many movies are based on this. Some, yeah. Someone loses a child to a criminal and the whole movie is about them going back and vengeance. tracking them down and getting vengeance. Because mm -hmm. vengeance makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. uh, God says vengeance is mine. I will repay. So we're, we're basically trying to take God's place when we do that. So anyways, in this the end of this chapter, we've got this 
powerful man. He's the second in the kingdom. He comes home moping around because he's not getting his way. He's not happy. And his wife has to come up with a solution to make him feel better. So we have another story like that back in 1 Kings chapter 21. It's not the first time this has happened. First Kings chapter 21. Someone like to read verses 5 through 7 for us. Probably should have started in verse 4. It says, says, Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because (laughs) he wanted the vineyard from Naboth and Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. So he comes home and pouts. Jezebel, as we know, has um, Naboth uh, murdered and gets the land for Ahab. So uh, the wife helps cheer him up there. Even though he was king, you know he he didn't exert his power. But uh, <coughs> Haman may not have um, thought about hanging Mordecai. That might have been his wife's idea. Well, they just hang him up. Says, wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> That'll cheer me up. <laughs> okay. So going into chapter six. We're going back to a subplot that uh, it doesn't seem to be directly related to the threat against the Jewish nation here, but it's, it gives us an example of how uh, God um, expresses his indignation against those who would exalt themselves instead of God. Let's turn to First Peter chapter 5. And we will see this principle. First Peter chapter 5. Someone like to read verses 5 and 6 for us. I find you are And six also. Okay, so here we see the principle, and this is a quotation from the Old Testament. I don't see exactly what the where the quote comes from, but uh, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's what we'll see unfolding here as we go through this this chapter. So in chapter 6, looking at verses 1 and 2, 
During that night, the king could not sleep, so he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So right after the banquet that night, the king could not sleep. So we're, we're not told that it's a result of what he ate that, you know. It wasn't like he had too many spicy meatballs and had heartburn. And, uh, but we're not told what causes this sleeplessness, but it's part of God's plan. You know, this is the hand of God working here. Um, and we've got a, a, a couple other examples of God giving a ruler a sleepless night so that he can work his plan. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 1 through 3. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they, were, when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I had a dream that troubled me, and I want to know what it meant. Okay. And this is where the Nebuchadnezzar gives them an impossible task. He doesn't tell them the dream and say, interpret it for me. He says, you tell me what the dream was, and then give me the interpretation <laughs> also. And they're all saying, no way, we can't do that. And he says, well, if you can't, you die. And this is where Daniel goes to the Lord, and, and God reveals the dream to him and also the, uh, the interpretation of it. But again, this is God's plan at work. He keeps Nebuchadnezzar awake. Uh, he, he has these dreams. Let's also go back to Genesis chapter 41. 41. 41. Genesis chapter 41. Someone like to read verse 1 and then skip down and read verse 5. Verse 1 and verse 5. And this is Pharaoh. When two years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He, he was standing on the Nile. In verse 5. Yes. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing up on a single stock. Okay. So here we, these were the two dreams that talked about the seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of drought. But again, he's having these dreams. And in this case, um, the can't remember which one it was, the baker or the um, cupbearer, cup I think. The baker got executed. The cupbearer said, you know, I know this guy that expo yeah, told me about a dream, and this is where Joseph is brought in, and, and he ultimately becomes the second highest in the kingdom. So again, we see God's plan at work here. So in, in all three of these cases, we have the ruler of an empire... And God is messing with their brains. He's giving them dreams. He's keeping them awake. You know, God is sovereign. He can do this. He has the right to do this. And he has the ability to do that. Um, and, you know, in a sense, we don't have to worry about what national leaders are going to do. God can take care of them. He has that ability. 
and he can direct them according to his plan. So we see that God's keeping a, keeping a Hasuras awake for a purpose. And so sometimes we might think if we're having trouble sleeping, maybe God has a purpose for us too, at, for being awake at night. You know, at least we can do is pray. <laughs> I better pray. I better pray. Yeah. Well, Hazarus had a sheer cure for uh, uh, insomnia. Bring the book of records. Bring the. Bring me some government documents to read. Um, in my job at Norpac, there was times when I had to deal with federal regulations regarding asbestos or lead or water quality, and I had to read sections of the federal registry. And it was horrible. I, I mean, I was drinking coffee, I'd get up, and I'd read a page or two, I'd get up and walk around the office, go back, sit down, read a page or two, get up and walk. They were awful to read. And if someone complained, so. you said, well, go ahead and do it yourself? <laughs> 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 the trouble was, it was my job. I had to do that. Um, Why are you taking so long to do that? <laughs> yes. Now, on the other hand, the king may have uh, been worried about, well, did I forget to do something? Is there something that I've missed? Uh, you know, and let's go back and look at the records and, and make sure that everything <clears throat> that I needed to do uh, has been done. So... Um, part that they read included that part about Mordecai reporting the assassination attempt on his life. So let's go back to chapter 2 and we can uh, it's just three verses someone like to read or four verses, someone like to read verses 21 through 23 for us. In those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate Big Fed and Terrace, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to, to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was reported in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. Okay, so that's... Mine says it called on Pardon, it was. <coughs> Mine says they were impaled on poles. Impal, yes. Impaled on poles. Yeah. And I have a note that just says tree. Yeah. Yes. Wood post or something. Um, when we were going through Ezra, excuse me, Ezra, Ezra, um, I think Darius had issued a decree and said if anyone does not follow this decree, they'll take a timber out of it, they'll destroy his house, take a timber out of the house and impale him on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that very was, violent, it was very violent, yeah. <laughs> Effective, I think, but violent. Um, so we have this subplot going on with the, you know, the assassination plot and Mordecai. What does that have to do with saving the Jews from Haman? Is it a necessary part of no, <laughs> it's not. I will, we'll, we'll look at this in a, in a second. Yeah, I think. Um, so, uh, going on to verses three and four, we, you know, we've read the record, and verses three and four, and the king said, "What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this?" And the king's servants who attended to him said, 
nothing has been done for him. So the king says, uh, then who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. So the king realizes Mordecai saved his life. I haven't even said thank you. And they want to kill him? <laughs> no, we'll get to that in a second. So he, so he asks his attendants about this, and they confirm nothing was done to honor Mordecai. And the king realizes he has to correct this oversight. He has to, um, he will have Mordecai uh, honored as his reward. And at this exact same time, Haman is coming in. He wants to murder, kill Mordecai. So the king wants to honor Mordecai, and Haman comes in wanting to kill him. The timing this is just, you know. Divine. The, the, high, the timing is divine. <laughs> this, this is called irony. Yes. Uh, the commentaries mentioned this is the most ironic passage in all of scripture. Um, Yes, provides a way. Um, you know, when we were going over um, the attributes of God, you know, one of the things we learned is God is not just an impersonal force. He has personality. That's part of the part of our theology. I don't know why they never reference this passage. How can an impersonal force? come up with such an ironic event. It's almost like God just, he loves this. It's not necessary to sit for the salvation of the Jews. You know, um, Haman was one of seven advisors, seven princes, and he was raised up above the others. And when, we, when that happened, we looked at Daniel, um, he was one of three superintendents. He got raised above the others. And what did the other two do? They had him thrown in the lion's den. They got rid of him. It would have been very easy for the other six princes to get rid of Haman. And God could have solved the problem. But no, we have this wonderful story where he comes in wanting to kill Mordecai at the same time the king wants to honor Mordecai. And then we have all this irony going on here. And this just shows God's personality. God's the one that says, this is what I want to do with Haman. And in some cases, it's, it's hard to come up with, uh, I think, any other explanation for why we have this stuff going on here, other than the fact that this is what God wants to do. It shows his personality. God is for us. Who can be guessing? Right. So, we have this great moment here where God's plan and Haman's plan collide, and of course, God's going to win here. Um, going on to verses 5 and 6, and the king's servants said to him, Behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. 
So Haman came in and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king desire to honor more than me? Delusion. Yeah. Um, now this is a little different. Remember when um, Esther came to the court, she did not wait outside to be invited in. She came into the court, and that's what was a violation of the law. Haman waited outside, and the attendants said, okay, Haman's there. King says, okay, bring him in. So he made arrangements to come in. Um, now we know the king here wants to honor Mordecai. Haman thinks it's himself. You know, who is, who would the king want to honor more than me? I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. You know, he's totally blinded by his pride and his arrogance here. Now let's turn to Proverbs. <laughs> Chapter 16. <laughs> yeah, we've got to go to Proverbs here. Proverbs chapter 16. Someone like to read verse 18 for us. Okay, we see pride goes before destruction, and that's what we'll see here. And then turn to chapter 18. Someone like to read verse 12 for us. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Okay, so we always see these two things, pride before the fall, but then if you're humble, God will honor you. You don't have to honor yourself. Don't go seeking your own honor. God will take care of that. If you, and God promises to do that. Okay, so going on to verses 6 through 9. Uh, so Haman came in and uh, the king says to him, what would, okay, we already looked at 6, I think. Uh, whom would you... You know, he asked him, what, what's to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let him bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. So Haman, of course, he, he's telling the king how he wants to be honored. And it's, yeah, because he is, of course, better than everybody else. He wants to be honored almost as much as the king. If the king goes out and everyone bows before the king, that's what he wants. But he has to be a little careful about not going too far and thus threatening the king. Um, so he, he's trying to get as close to being honored as a king as he can. So um, first we have a royal robe, again, that the king has worn. Not just one like the king has worn, but the king has actually worn it. It comes out of the king's closet. Okay, let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 5 this is the last thing that the uh, Babylonian king does before the Persians destroy uh, Babylon Daniel chapter 5 verse 29 Daniel has just interpreted the handwriting on the wall and so the king wants to honor him so Belshazzar, 
Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay, so we have something similar. You know, they put the robe on Daniel, they give him a chain around his neck, and they proclaim that he's now third in the kingdom. So the kingdom, yeah. yeah. He was the third in the kingdom for one day. <laughs> Probably less than 24 hours. Um, however, um, he, Darius was the one who conquered Babylon. And you see, just under the next chapter, uh, Daniel is made a ruler. So he was a good man, and they recognized that. Um, the Persians... Um, would take the locals who were good rulers and keep them in office. Okay, so we have this royal robe, a horse on which the king has ridden. Um, and it talks about a royal crown has been placed. It's, the royal crown is on the horse. It's either called a crown or in some it's called a crest. And that indicates that this is the, the royal horse. It's kind of like um, when heads of state ride in limousines, they have the little flags on the front that, that say this, okay, so the king or the president is riding in this limousine. So that's what the, the, the crown is. Um, and then one of the king's most noble princes, again, there was... Um, Ahasuerus had seven princes. Haman was first among them. But basically he was thinking, okay, I'll have one of these other six put the robe on me and lead me around town. So um, the prince then will proclaim, uh, the king delights, delights to honor this man. So he's being led around on the king's horse, the king's transportation. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter one. <coughs> Daniel is old, and he's transferring the crown to Solomon. First Kings chapter one. Someone like to read verses thirty-two through thirty-four. Then King David said, "Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada." And they came into the king's presence. The king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have my son Solomon ride in my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. How far? 34 also. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there as king over Israel, and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Okay, so again, here we have the king bringing his... <clears throat> His princes together take Solomon, my son, put him on my mule. He didn't have a horse, they rode the mules. So he's on the you know, royal transportation, and his princes are taking him and proclaiming him to be king. So that's very similar to what Haman wants done to him. Um, you know, to me it looks like Haman might have his eyes on the throne. <laughs> Although he has to be real careful doing that. Okay. 
back to verses 10 through 12. Esther chapter 6. And the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting in the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. So Haman's world begins to crash down around him here. So, so he had to be the, he was the one that led him. He was the, yeah, he was the most noble. Well, more irony. Yeah, there's more irony, yes. I love it. You know, let's just say one of the Psalms, God sits in the heavens and laughs at the kings of the earth. I can see God just saying, okay, this is funny. God has a sense of humor. Uh, so King Ahasuerus orders Haman to honor Mount Mordecai with all the honors that Haman wanted for himself. Now, it's interesting here, he said Mordecai the Jew. So at this point, Ahasuerus appears to know that Mordecai is a Jew. That's one of the first indications we have connecting Mordecai and Esther and as to, to being Jews. So he's, not, so he's aware that he's a Jew. And again, sitting at the king's gate, that means this is kind of like the federal office building where all the bureaucrats work. So he was, uh, Mordecai was part of the uh, king's government. He was a, uh, one of his servants. He, the king tells Haman, do it quickly and don't neglect any detail. Don't stall. Don't cut corners. You do everything that you told me to do. And, and Haman obeyed. He didn't have a choice at this point. He had to obey. And this must have been absolutely horrible for him. Yes. Um, and, he, and I started thinking through, what, what are all the things that went wrong for Haman? He was all excited that morning. What was he going to do? He was going to kill Mordecai. Well, that got shot down. And then the king says, I want to honor someone. So Haman said, okay, I'm going to get all this great honor. <coughs> no, that got shot down. And then finally, he was forced to honor Mordecai, who he hated. And so this is... Uh, as we might say, it was the beginning of a really bad day for Haman. Um, at the end of this time, uh, Haman returns Mordecai back to the king's gate, back to the, his office, where he had been performing his duties. We're not told at all what Mordecai thought of this. He's just like, you know, it's like, we don't know what the horse thought, we don't know what Mordecai thought. This is, it's all about Haman right now. Um, <laughs> Um, but Haman, is, he went home in great shame and great grief. So he left home that morning all excited about the prospect of destroying Mordecai. He returned to his house with Mordecai honored and himself put to shame. 
Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. We'll see this principle of exalting yourself again. This is from Christ's words. Luke chapter 14. Someone would like to read verse 11 for us. Okay, so this is Jesus who is God speaking. This is a principle. Uh, this is what destroyed Haman. And it's something that we need to remember. Um, we do not exalt ourselves. God will make sure we get humbled if we do. But if we humbly serve God, God will reward us and exalt us according to his wisdom. And he won't exalt us any more than we can handle. He knows, <laughs> he knows the limits of our ability to handle uh, being honored. Okay, going to verses uh, 13 and 14. So Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. So again, he goes back to his support group, his wife and his friends, and he's telling them all these bad things that have happened to him that day. And he probably wants them to try to cheer him up and commiserate with him. Um, but this time they don't provide an awful lot of support. Because there's, besides his wife and his friends, there's a third group mentioned here. You see who they are? Those of Jewish origin. Okay, no, not the Jewish origin. His wise men said to him. We didn't have that before. Now this phrase, the only place we have this phrase earlier is, is back in chapter 1, verse 13. Let's go back and look at that. This is where Vashti had, the you know, king was trying to figure out what to do with Vashti. So would someone like to read one thirteen for us? And the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all Okay, so here we've got the wise men. They knew the law, they knew the times. These were the astrologers. These were the magi who came to present gifts to Christ three centuries later. Um, they knew things that the rest of the people did not know about. Um, and we, they really understand at least a bit of this grand plan. They under, yes, and they, under, they seemed to understand Jewish history. They came to, they, they followed the star because they knew Balaam's prophecy. But uh, I can't remember exactly how it went, but a star shall rise in Judah. You know, it's this little obscure thing. They knew it. They knew the ancient Jewish writings. So let's look at a couple of things. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, something like verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, verse 3. The one who curses you, I will curse. So they would know that. Let's turn in Genesis to chapter 27. Someone like to read verses 29 and 30 here. Okay, so here we have that curse repeated. This is Isaac passing this blessing on to Jacob. Jacob, whose name was also changed to Israel, who was the father of the Jews. So this tells us that this curse is on those who will curse the Jews. And so, it appears the wise men came on the scene. They may not have known the whole background about Mordecai being a Jew and all these other things, but they may have suspected it. And so they warn him. He says, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. So they knew this curse. They knew that uh, um, Haman would not be able to stand before it. You mess with the Jews, you're messing with God's people. And you're going to die, is basically what they're telling him. So, and then finally, while they're still still talking, and the king's eunuchs arrive, and they hurry Haman off to the dinner. So all these things are happening. Bam, 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 bam. Um, you can imagine Haman's emotions, his thinking. Uh, he's being bounced around like a pinball here. You know, he can't get his thoughts together. Maybe he can relax and enjoy dinner. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, come back next week for the rest of the story. Uh, we need to close here. So, um, Joe, would you like to close in first? Sure. Dear Lord, we thank you for, the, for your word, the living word that speaks to us in a personal way when we open it. See what you have for us. We thank you for that. We pray you would guide and direct us. Today for this, lesson, this, history, this lesson in history of how you care of your people through a time of turmoil in their nation. We know that you also are, your hand works behind the scenes of, of our history today. We thank you for that. We pray for this hour, pray for the next hour, and Robert Reeves brings a message. Just Lord, we pray that you'll guide and direct us as we follow what you have for us to do. We pray.